Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. 1 Peter chapter 1 will be in verses uh, 22 through 25 this morning. So we will be completing chapter 1, which is taking us about five or six weeks to get to that point. Uh, where we are continuing our series, Sojourners, where we've been in this book, and Peter has reminded us of a few things, just to kind of recap the last several weeks. He's reminded us of our living hope that we have in Christ, and that he has given us our salvation, and how, as a result, we are to live now in light of that reality, in light of that truth. And so he, he called us last week to live holy as Christ is holy. Today, Peter is going to show us our call to love and to, and to help us discern the difference between an insincere love and a sincere, genuine love. Across our city, you can look at yard signs or you can look at posters in windows and you'll see something along these lines. Love wins. In this house, we believe. In our America, dot, dot, dot. And there's these descriptions. Something along these lines. Black lives matter. Love is love. Women's rights are human's rights. We are all immigrants. Diversity makes us stronger. Rebecca McLaughlin in her book, Secular Creed, which by the way is a small but excellent book. If you have not read it, I put it towards the top of your list. It's very relevant to our time and culture. But she points out, she said, signs like this, and I know you see them everywhere you go, Sketch out a secular creed or statement of belief. It centers not on God, but on diversity, equality, and everybody's right to be themselves. Now, as believers, one of our primary callings and the evidence of your salvation is love, but not how the world interprets it. You see, these signs are how the world interprets love. And, and, and they describe these things and say that, that is loving if you're this way. But McLaughlin helps us reframe our understanding from a Christian worldview by saying this. We do believe that black lives matter because they matter to Jesus. We don't believe that love is love. We believe that God is love, and he gives us glimpses of his love through different kinds of relationships. We believe women's rights are human rights because God made us male and female in his image. And for that same reason, we believe that babies in the womb have rights as well. We believe God has a special concern for single mothers, for orphans, for immigrants, because Scripture tells us so again and again. We believe that diversity does indeed make us stronger, because Jesus calls people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to worship him as one body. And so we are called to love. Not how the world defines it, but how God defines it. In my 36 years in church, here's what I've discovered. I've discovered some of the most loving people in my life. People who love and care for others genuinely, who live sacrificially. But you know what else I've discovered? You know what I have found? Some of the most hateful people in my life. I've also found them in the church. And so as we get started, here's what I want you to do. I want you to invite the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is here and present and alive with us. I want you to take just a moment right there in your seat and invite the Holy Spirit to do an internal investigation in your life this morning and ask, 
Am I a person of love? Genuine love? Am I a forgiving person? And would others know that I am a Christian based on my love? Let me pray before we dive into the next part of 1 Peter this morning. God, we come and we want to center our hearts and our lives on you. We invite your Holy Spirit to come and to investigate our lives. Do an open heart surgery. God, help us to do an internal inspection and reveal, are we truly loving people the way that you've called us to love? Are we truly people who forgive? Are we extending the same grace and mercy that we expect others to extend to us? Allow your word to speak powerfully to us today. Amen. So the last couple weeks, Peter's been focusing on how we as Christians are to relate to the world around us, right? We're we're sojourners. We're we're called to live holy and separate lives and, and, and live these ways that make us distinct and unique. And this week, he's going to shift and he's going to focus on how it is that we are to now relate to one another, those within the body of Christ. So keep that in mind as we read these verses. And so point number one this morning is the purpose of salvation is to love others. Starting in verse 22, here's what Peter says. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, Peter's call to love one another is grounded in their salvation. Remember what he's built up all these weeks, what he's been talking about. And they're called a holy living, which we could summarize. He's saying because of your salvation... Because you're called to live holy, therefore, as a result, love one another earnestly. And so we actually see the goal or purpose of salvation here. Now, if I were to say, hey, let's go grab coffee this week, which I love doing. And you guys know I love grabbing coffee. I spend a lot of money at coffee shops. But we sat down and I asked you casually, if I said, why did God save you? How would you respond? Now, I'm sure I could hear some of these answers to save me from my sins because I did wrong so I can go to heaven. And and those would not be wrong answers. But we see here that one of the goals or purpose of salvation is so that you could love other people, specifically those within the body of Christ. We see in the second part of verse 22, he uses this phrase for a sincere brotherly love. What's another way to say sincere? Honest Honest or, or, or genuine. Right? When you think of something being genuine, like genuine leather, it's going to last you a long, long time versus uh, imitation leather that's going to crack and break within a few months. And so God demonstrated his genuine love toward you so that you could demonstrate your genuine love towards other people. When you think about the sincere love towards other people, it's not just a profession. Any of us can say, I, I love you. Right? I've had people in my, in my life in different churches that they would come and say, I love you, brother. I love you. And you're like, I don't know, that sounds really fake. It doesn't seem really fake. Like You said you were going to show up at lunch last week at my school and you didn't show up, but when I'm here on Wednesday night at youth group, you're like, I love you, brother, and I'm like, but again, you didn't show up. So that's not the kind of love he's talking about. But he's talking about the love that's real, that's sincere, that's genuine, that is lived by the actions in your life, not just the words that you're saying out of your mouth. John 13, 34. It says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, 
Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, Jesus previously commanded us to love others as ourselves. But now he raises the bar by calling us to love others as he loves. So he's already said, look, the way that you love yourself, like it's not hard to love yourself. Let's, let's be honest. We get, our, we get our, our, our paycheck and we want to take care of things. Even this week, I had received a, a check from uh, this organization around Christmas time. They said, hey, we just want to love on you. And it was written out to me. It was like Matt Boyd. And, and it was a sum of $1,000. So I held on to it for a while. I didn't, I didn't put it in the bank because I was like, man, I'm going to spend this. you know. And finally, I'm like, I'm going to get this kayak. And I had this all planned out. And then I take the family on the spring break trip last couple days. And we go to REI. And I was like, look, this is the kayak I'm thinking about getting. And, and, and my family were like, where'd you get the money? And I'm like, well, that check I got at Christmas. And they're like, wait, that was for all of us. <laughs> That's a one-person kayak. How are we going to fit on that? And I was like, well, I guess we're on spring break. So we're just going to use that money on food and lodging and, and exploring this, this family together. So it's easy to love ourselves. But Jesus raises the bar. He says, now I want you to love other people the way that I love people. And so the love that Peter is urging here is a love that unites the family of God. This is why you were saved, to love the body, which is also called the church. And so you might be thinking, but aren't we called to love all people, like inside the church and outside the church? Yes. But according to this passage, who is our primary calling to love? Our brothers, our sisters those within the body of Christ. But why is it so important to love others in the church? Look again at John 13, 34 through 35. Next slide, please. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also love one another. And then here we are in verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Francis Schaeffer points out, he says, Jesus gives the world permission to judge the genuineness of our Christian faith on the basis of our sincere brotherly love. Did you catch that? All people will know by your love for one another. That's how the world around us is to know that we are genuine followers of Christ. Not on the A-frames we put out and the banners we put out and the things that we claim in the newspaper ads and the Facebook posts. Our actual love for one another. So let me ask you again. Why is it so important to love others in the church? Because one of the greatest evangelism tools that we have to the world that's around us. Now you might hear that and think, wait a minute. <laughs> have you seen the state of the church as a whole in America? Like Matt, you probably haven't been on social media much if you don't understand where the state of the church is in our, in our nation. It's not only that the, the nation's fractured and we're polarized, like the, the church itself. Like Christian Twitter is way worse than just regular Twitter. I get that. Unfortunately, yes, I have been paying attention. And it's for that reason that Satan must be thrilled right now with the state of the church in America. I actually don't think Satan has to do a whole lot to be against us. Like we already do it ourselves. I think Satan kind of sits back in his lazy boy and just like, look at the church in America. They are, they're a laughingstock sometimes. I don't have to do a whole lot. They're already doing it themselves. And so I know, I know the arguments. It's often unrecognizable from what we read in the New Testament when you think of the church. It doesn't, it doesn't look like what I'm maybe reading in the Gospels and in, 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 in the book of Acts. You might say it's full of hypocrites. That's a very common one. The church is full of hypocrites. 
And so many people, maybe some of you, you've been hurt by the church. To the point where the church often seems irrelevant to reaching our world with the gospel. And it seems to be an obstacle to doing so. Now, I know that this is why some of you are reluctant to tell your friends that you are a part of a church. And what did you do this weekend? Well, I went to this really cool brunch spot, or I went out and did this, or I hung out with my family, or hung out with my friends. But like, church will rarely ever get mentioned there because you're like, I don't want to tell them that because then they're going to kind of know that I'm part of this thing that, you know, based on what we're, we're looking at in media. That's why you're hesitant to invite them to church because you're kind of almost embarrassed by it. Not necessarily our church, but the church in general as a whole. And so this has led many to conclude, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. Look, as a pastor, I have to admit, many of these criticisms ring true. But here's my question for you. Are those legitimate enough reasons to abandon Jesus or his bride that he also calls the church? I would say no. Not if you keep your focus on Jesus. Not if you keep your focus on Jesus and doing his will. Rather than abandoning the church, my, my exhortation to you is to regain a right understanding of the church and the purpose of God's church and to live that out faithfully during your, during your sojourn. Look, I get it. People are hard to love. I'll be the first to admit. I'm a very hard person to love. All you have to do is ask my family. The guy who wanted to spend his money on a kayak and not on a spring break trip. People in churches, they're inconsistent. But allow me to put things into perspective for us just briefly. This is where I want you to focus on you, not others. Were you difficult in your sin to love? Absolutely. Are you ever inconsistent? I know you are. Well, what about since becoming a Christian? Are you inconsistent in your life since becoming a Christian? Oh, yep, you are again. Have you ever wounded or hurt God? You better believe it. So I want to be sensitive on one hand. On the other hand, I want to give us a different angle and perspective as we view the church and how we are to love the church. Matt Chandler, he said this, talking about the church, is the only community there is that celebrates the fact that we're all in process. You ever thought about that? Like other communities are like, hey, you're kicked out of the club. Man, you can't be part of this anymore. Like, we told you this is the uniform. We told you this is how you're supposed to, to live. These are the dues that you're supposed to pay, and you're just not living up to that. No, this is the only community that, that celebrates that we're all in process. It's this big theological word we call sanctification, that we're not there yet. None of us have arrived. And so some of us, we need to extend the grace to others that we are expected and want to receive ourselves. Like, we all want to receive grace, right? When we're the ones who mess up, we're like... Please extend mercy. Please have mercy. Extend grace to me. But then sometimes when other people mess up, we don't want to extend that same grace to them. We have this higher expectation of them. Chandler adds, he says, the church has always been a mess. I mean, have you read the New Testament? Seriously, have you read the New Testament? Like the churches that Paul planted, because he was kind of the, the top church planner, they're all a mess. That's why he writes these letters to them. He, go back, he goes back and visits them like they're a mess. What's the difference between now and then? There's just social media now. Now we're able to read about all the churches that are a mess and all the scandals that happen. Whereas there was a time in history we, we didn't know about those things. They were kind of isolated. And so if you found yourself in this place of, I love Jesus, 
but I just don't love the church, then according to God's word, you are missing one of the biggest callings as a Christian, which is to love the church, the people, in order to demonstrate his love to the world. And so Peter has much to say about the local church. And he begins by saying that a New Testament church is a body of people who've been born again through the living word of God. It's a body characterized by love for each other. And that this is one of our strongest apologetics. Bring me to point number two. Let's switch to this mic. Point number two. The call to love flows from our new life as born-again members of God's family. So Peter continues in verse 23. He says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. So we see the command to love is rooted in God's prior saving work, which he's already been writing to them about, that you are saved. And Peter expresses it in this phrase, since you have been born again. And so the exhortation now to love from the previous verse, it flows from their new identity. In other words, he's not calling them to do something that they're not capable of doing. He's saying you are called to do this and you're capable of doing this because now you are born again members of God's family. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So Peter just showed us the proof to know if one is truly a Christian. What's the proof? Love. Love is the proof that we are truly a Christian. Why is love the proof? Of all things, why is love? He is love, but you can't love apart from God. And here's what else you can't do. You can't fake it. Love is the one thing that you cannot fake. There are many things that you can fake in the church. Trust me, I've been in church long enough. And I've been in seasons of my life where I've had to fake it. But genuine Christ-like love is the one thing that you cannot fake. You can fake doctrine and knowledge. You can have all the right answers. You can have all the head knowledge. No, no right theology. But do you, know, do you know who else has solid doctrine and has all the answers? The right answers. Jesus. Well, Jesus, yes, my youngest son, yes, Jesus. But you know who else does? <laughs> Satan. Satan has great doctrine. Satan has right theology. He knows all the right answers. You can fake morality or just be a moral person. Look at the Mormons. They're not saved. They're not the same as us, regardless of what their marketing is trying to tell us. You can have good works. You can fight for justice and equality and equity. You can serve the poor every weekend. But love is different. A sincere, selfless, sacrificial love is different. And so do you love people who are hard to love? What about annoying people? Aren't annoying people really hard to love? What about people who drain you? Right? We all have people, like I'm an, I'm an extrovert, so I love spending time with people. Like I get energy off of it. I get really excited. But I still have those people in my life that are like, man, it's just draining to spend time with them. If you're an introvert, I might be the one who drains you because I like to spend time with you and talk to you. What about people who are politically opposite from you? You might be like, man, I'm ultra conservative or I'm ultra liberal or I'm somewhere like, what about those people? Do you love them? What about people who have betrayed you? 
What about people who are your enemies? What about people who knowingly hate you? You might be sitting there thinking, how can I be expected to love such people? It's true. It is hard to love, hard to love people. And we've all had those people in our lives. I've got literally got people in my mind as we speak. I will not mention their names. But it is possible, and you're not, you're not in the room, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but it is possible we have seen it done. Because this is precisely what our Savior Jesus did. This is what Jesus did on the cross by giving of himself to save us. Hard to love people. This is why this verse reminds us of our new birth. Here's, here's how I look at this. This kind of love is not natural. This kind of love is supernatural, which is why it's the kind of love that is from God himself. The kind of love where you fall in love with someone and you want to date them or you want to get married to them, like that's a natural love. But this kind of love, loving people who are hard to love, this is a supernatural love that only comes from God and God himself. Now hold your place in 1 Peter, and if you're using a physical copy, and flip back to 1 Corinthians 13 for just a minute. I'm just going to read this. I'm not going to do a sermon on this other whole passage. I'm just going to read this for us because I think it helps frame what it says. The heading of my Bible says, the way of love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall now fully, even as I have now been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the way of love, which brings us to our third and final point, point number three. How we are to love like this. In other words, we have this call to love. Now, how is it that we are to do it? Look again at verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So we have the primacy of the word of God, which lasts forever. And he emphasizes that in these last two verses of verse 24, 25. And we see that Peter, what he's going to do is he's going to illustrate and differentiate the result of two seeds. There's the perishable seed, which represents death. There's the imperishable seed, which represents life. It says, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. 
Now, Peter, really all throughout, but this morning, what Peter's doing is he's actually going back to the Old Testament. And so, the, you know, the Old Testament and New Testament really fit together to make one complete story. So he's actually citing Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 and 8, to contrast the weakness of human flesh with the power of the word of the Lord that has granted new life to believers. And so Isaiah verse 40, verse 6 and 8 says, A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty, like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Now Isaiah, when he's writing this, does not understand how good news can come out of judgment. But God corrects him, saying that while feeble humanity perishes, he says that humanity is like a fading flower. Right now it's spring, so we're seeing all these flowers bloom. But what's going to happen here in a couple months? They're all going to fall, right? And we're going to get to the heat of summer. But he's saying that his word, which promises, remember Isaiah is prophesying, it's promising the coming salvation and restoration for his people. He says that word is not like the flower. That word remains forever. And so this is the initially good news for Israel, that God fulfills his promise to the nations, and it's something that the world cannot resist. It's something he said, I promise to deliver you from exile. And so Isaiah, all the way back, way prior to Peter coming in, is really agreeing with and supporting his argument in verse 23 that God's word is living and enduring. That's why we live our lives by the word of God. That's why we say, I'm just not hearing from the Lord. I say, open the Bible. You may not hear audibly. You not, God may not be impressing something in your heart, but open his word, which is why we live by his word, which is why we preach verse by verse here, because we believe that God's word is alive and well because he tells us it's alive and well. And that's how we want to live our lives and be shaped by that. And that we now know that the word of the Lord in Isaiah is fulfilled through the gospel being proclaimed to the churches in Asia Minor, that these believers are now getting to live in the fruition of the prophecy that was given. And so not only do we now have a living hope and an imperishable inheritance as a result of our new birth, we also have a new heart. Did you get that? Like in a new birth, you're given a new heart that is now capable of loving those who do not deserve to be loved. So this is why Peter's not calling the people of the world, those who have not given themselves to Christ, to love in this way. He calls the church to love in this way. He calls you and me, Christ followers, to love in this way. Because apart from Christ, we couldn't actually love this way. And so now that we're in Christ, he's saying you're born again, you have a new heart, and that new heart is now capable of loving each other the way that Christ has loved us. And so we can love this way, not before our new birth, but only after and as a result of our new birth, that we are now empowered to love as Jesus loved. We are empowered to, to, to love those around us as he loved. And so when we were born again, we were born into a new family that is characterized by gracious love. So when people say, why should I be part of a church? You know, why should I be part of a local church? Because we are part of a family that's characterized by gracious love, where people get to know you, your ins and outs, your deepest, darkest secrets. Now, there, is there a time and place that you go, man, my trust was broken, and I've got that church hurt we already referred to? Yes, there's a time and place I think you should leave a church. I think you can leave a church, and you should leave a church well. But the, the environment, the DNA, the values that we're trying to create here at Sojourn is that we're on that journey of learning what it means to follow Jesus. And part of that journey is being vulnerable with one another and opening up. And yes, holding each other accountable, not in a judgmental way, but in a loving way, mercy, with mercy and grace to say we want to look more and more like Jesus. And that's why I'm actually holding you accountable. That's why I'm going to maybe call you on, on your sin. And I invite you to call me on my sin 
But we do it in a way that's loving and lifting up to look more and more like our Father in heaven. And so we're born again. We're born into this family that's characterized by gracious love. And so our Father is love. And love, our elder brother, Jesus, died in our place so that we might live. And so love, as a result, is now in our DNA. If you're in Christ, you can't help but love. It's just part of who you are. And Jesus shows us what it's like to love God above all and what it looks like to love his bride, the church. You cannot separate the two. Sometimes we come in stubbornly, ignorantly, and we want to like divorce Christ from the church. It's not designed that way. You got to read the book. We're meant to be together. Now, the, the bride is imperfect and it messes up and it's messy, but we're meant to be together because God designed where we love Jesus and we love his church. And since we have been born again, through the living and abiding word of God, which sets us apart from the world of hate, we can now and must obey this call to love one another. And so sojourn, we do not walk away from the church when things get hard. We do not love the way that the world defines love, but we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, even when it gets hard, even when, when there's uncertainty, even when at times we've experienced something hard or impossible but rather than walk away, we are to walk towards them in sincere love as God did us in Christ. Aren't we thankful that God gives us the example of love? That in spite of our sin, in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our being inconsistent, God still extended his love and mercy and grace to us. But you know what else? He does it time and time and time and time and time and time again and time, and time, and time again, and again, and again. I love when we take communion. You guys hear me say, we're going to walk out that door, we're going to walk down the steps, and someone's going to sin probably right away. It might be me. I say a lot of stupid things. I might stick my foot in my mouth and cross the line and, and sin. But God's extended his mercy and grace to me again. And this is what we are to do with Christ in the church. I can spend all day talking about this. I see so many of our generation just walking away Walking away, and I, I hear the excuses. Matt's because you're a pastor. Matt's because you went to seminary. I've been tempted to walk away too. But I can't. Why? Because of the Word of God. Because of what God shows me. And God says, even when it's hard, Matt, you need to press in. Because I'm the definition of love, not those people around you. Let me pray for us, church. God, we love because you first loved us. God, we live in a world, we live in a city that loves to talk about equality and equity, inclusiveness, different groups of people mattering. And God, we say yes to those things, not the way that they define them, the way that you define them. God, we let the world hijack so much of what you've already given us. God, I pray for boldness for us in this room as we interact with people to say, do you know why I care about these different groups of people? Do you know why? Or maybe even ask them why they do. Not because it's, it's something that brings us uh, a token, a gesture. Not because our city declares that we're supposed to and it's virtue signaling. But God, we do it because of you. And that there's times, if we're honest, that there's, there's other people sometimes we don't want to love them. God, some people are just really hard to love. And I ask that in those moments, and there may be someone in this room right now that's experiencing that with a, maybe a family member. God, it might be a roommate. It might be a coworker, It might be a friend. God, that you can soften their hearts so that they can love that person the way that you love them. That they can extend that mercy and grace to them one more time.
God, may we love the way that you love because you first loved us. In your name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.